Good morning. So excited to be here today. Are you? Yeah. So good to be in church in the mornings. Um, my name is Jezer Garcia. I like to introduce myself because I don't come here very often. If you're a visitor with us, you know, you should know that I'm the spare tire, so I come once in a while when John is not here. So I'm the spare of John. But anyways, uh, for those who are joining us online, thank you so much for cooking in and coming in. Um, if you guys, uh, we have upstairs, we have our uh, deacons nominee, by, by the way, if you guys would be interested in looking at it, it's on the entryway. So. But anyways, uh, yeah, Jezer Garcia and uh, one of the pastors here at Hannaford, and I'm so excited. So we're diving into a new series, and it's foundations, you know, we're talking a little bit about, and I'll develop a little bit as we talk about worldview and different things like this. And to develop a Christian worldview. Um, often what happens is um, we get into church, we get to know God, and some of the things that we believe to be truth in the Bible, and then we separate other things that we believe, oh, no, this is old, this is not for me anymore. When the challenge that we have for you, as you can see how the Bible is relevant to us, and encourage you as we go through the series to look through life through the lenses of the gospel. And that's how we develop a Christian worldview. And in a way, you know, um, we're going to talk about marriage, but it, notice that I didn't put a marriage in there because if I put a marriage on the bulletin, so people would just run away, like, what this guy's talking about marriage, what he knew, you know. So I didn't want to scare you. But if you're here today and maybe you're single or don't be afraid, we're just going to develop, we're going to talk, I'm going to speak from my heart. And I did a lot of research last night to be ready for it tonight. <laughs> Not really. So we, me and my wife, Casey, uh, we've been married for 18 years. And um, when Pastor John was talking about the opportunity to speak on marriage, I was very excited about it. It's a topic that I'm not a specialist but I am passionate about it because I worked with teens for 16 years before um, working as associate pastor. And one of the things that I saw is how marriage was very important. And you see, especially when the kids come in and then some of the kids, they have very good uh, parent behind them. And how different it makes when the structure of marriage is doing really well. So I grew, I grew up a little bit as I mature as a Christian to develop this passion about the topic. So hopefully we'll learn together. So I would like to show a few pictures here. So, and this is the celebrities, couples that we have in our society, okay? So um, I'm going to ask the question, maybe if you're 50 or older, you know, do you guys recognize this couple? Yes, okay. Let's show their name. So it's Meghan and Harry, right? They're the prince of England. Okay, so then we have another one, which, by the way, this is, I really have a hard, I had a hard time finding a picture that she, she looked decent on the picture, but, but this is a conversation for another time. But anyways, anybody who is in their 50s know who they are? No? Okay, so that's Jay-Z and Beyonce, okay? So let's have another one. Ah, so now, if you're in your 20s below or 30s, do you know who they are? Okay. 
So that's Lucy Ball and Desi Arnitz. Is that how it's say? So his character is called Ricky. Yeah, so, but that's, his name is actual Desi. Okay. Then we have one more. So, and then if you're older than 50, you probably don't know who they are. But they are, let's see, Emily Blunt and John Kaczynski. All right, very good. So, these are the couples that, that we say in our culture, they're the ones that people know very well. And believing or not believing, they are influenced by worldview society when it comes to a lot of things. And they're influenced by and also they're influencing. Okay? So especially when it comes to relationship, so that is one people, one, uh, some of the couples that I was looking at, it, that the most influential, this is for 2021, some of them that I chose, it was the most influential couples of 2021, especially uh, the younger ones. Okay? So in a way, um, even if you agree or disagree, they have a tendency to influence us in the way we see it. And so that's the challenge that I would like to give it to us this morning, is to see uh, how that influence comes in the church and how we are influenced by and how we can uh, view life in God's perspective. You know, it's very interesting, but um, we have, you know, our kids, we, do, we, we try to do uh, devotions in, in, at night before bedtime. So we try to do that, and 95% of the time, we fail. So it's really hard with five kids, and we're trying to get a, a time that they can spend uh, in the Bible, and then we read a little bit. But the few times when we do it, and we really would like to do it, but when we do it, I found there's some pressure times with the kids. It's really fun. And one of these days, you know, we were doing devotion, we were talking about love, we were talking about who you love the most, and then uh, the devotion has some questions in there. And then in the end of the devotion, you know, you're supposed to ask the kids, who they love the most. And, you know, we spend probably like half an hour talking about that, and then you feel like, oh, man. So we start off with the oldest kids, and then they're talking about who they love the most. And then the very first kid is like, oh, God, Jesus. You know, I love Jesus. And they were so excited. And then as a parent, you say, oh, yeah, cool. You know, and they start going, and then the second oldest one's like, oh, Jesus. You know, I love Jesus. This is the center of my life, Jesus. And then we go one by one. And then we get to the youngest one. He was like, so, Max, what do you love the most in your life? Cars! And he was so confident. Cars! Which is very interesting because that's his worldview. He sees everything through the lenses. Because he's a five-year-old, so everything he sees is with the lenses of cars. Right? And that's what we would like to, to, to challenge you guys, not to see with the lenses of cars, but as we dive in, in all those weeks that we're doing this, that we can see your life, your own life, through the lenses of the gospel. And so those are celebrities that I show to you. And they're couples and people that we see in the news all the time. And they influence us in many different ways. And the problem that I see a lot of times is how they impact not only the society, but impact, impact the church. And very often, God's worldview contrasts with the natural, what's, what's normal, and what's inst instinctive or natural or cultural for us is sometimes contrast. Not just when it comes to marriage or love, but a lot of different things. You know, if you, if you think about some concepts about pray for those who persecute you or hate you, 
That is, the world won't tell you to do those things. It's very counterintuitive. Or even the idea of love itself, the perspective that we understand culturally what love is and the perspective that God brings into what love is. And then one of the things that we're going to spend some time, it's the meaning of marriage. It's the idea behind in the culture and how that relates to us. The Western culture, we're going to start by there, the unrealistic view of marriage. And there's so many things that we can talk about it, but it's very unrealistic. And then one of the things that we see is there's so many data out there about the rates for divorce, and it's growing and growing, and now it, people are getting with this, this skepticism when it comes to marriage. And there is a point, there is an understanding, we, we got to think about it in a very critical way to see and to think about why it's that happening in our society. Why there's so much, the rate of, uh, of divorce or even uh, the idea why there's so much skepticism when it comes, when it comes to marriage. So one of the things that in my research that they, they think about it, it's marriage is find a perfect soulmate. It's, it's the idea of there's someone out there, the soulmate idea, which is not biblical at all. The soulmate idea, it's a Greek idea that there's someone out there that is your other half. And I have to be honest, I used that term before. But it's an idea that if you don't find someone, you are incomplete as a person, which is not true. And you add into that the idea that perfect. So the world is looking for a soulmate, a compatible, perfect person. Someone who can guarantee me happiness for the rest of my life. The idea of marriage we see in movies that always ends with the wedding. Right? Um, having a lot of kids, we watch a lot of princess movies. It's the Disney-style narrative of two individuals that fall in love, and then they have this crisis they have to go to. There's a tension in two. She's perfect. He's perfect. It's the enchanted prince, you know, and he comes in, and somehow he rescues her, and, and then they have a wedding ceremony, and then the credits. Right? I would love to, do, to watch a movie that actually is after the credits. You know, she wake up in the morning with the hair all crazy, and then he's like, ah, who are you? You know, or the guy not making the bed in the morning, and then the wife is like, hey, you know, uh, you know, waking up, not be able to, it's like, I don't want to deal with the kids and all that. And actually, I'm sharing the story of my life. <laughs> Anyways. Right? There's so much of into that. The fairy tale, the after, I would like to see after, happily ever after. But that's the idea of our culture, that the notion that the best marriage will bring in satisfaction to the individual. It's the idea that I am lonely and I need to find fulfillment in my life and I can't find that. I have an empty spot in my heart. And I need to find fulfillment and satisfaction by finding an individual. It's the me marriage idea. And I wish to say that this is something that's happening outside of the church, but it's infiltrating the church, that idea. People are looking for a relationship to make their lives a little bit more interesting. 
And that's the drive. You know, maybe if I find someone who has enough money and then we have two incomes, you know, those are bonuses. But the idea is that should not be the main idea why someone should get married. And maybe because that other person to find the personal goals to be fulfilled, the career goals. Unfortunately, those ideas are infiltrating our church and churches in general. But how should we view marriage? And this is why we're here. You know, um, and Christmas Day, you know, I, uh, one of my job, I, I don't have a lot of job in Christmas time in my house. So I have to find one gift, and then that's for my wife. And she has to buy 35, 40 gifts for the neighbors, the extended family, you know. So, and, and I wish I, I should help more. But anyways, so when Christmas Day comes, so you have a Christmas tree full of gifts. And then my wife takes the camera and the kids, they go one by one opening the gifts. It's very exciting. It's obnoxiously exciting in my house. It's fun, you know, very full of energy. And my job is to sit in a corner. And a lot of times when she takes pictures, you see me in a corner. And it's almost like I'm not uh, participating in the thing, but I am. So I have a set of tools sitting on the side where all my kids, they open their gifts. And then sure enough, it's things to put it together. And then it's like, this year we got like a doll that literally has staples on her hair, on the box. And then on the back has screws that you have to unscrew to take the doll out. I mean, I... People are making dolls that for people not to play. I don't know. But someone out there had the idea. So, and then what they do, they just like my kids just say, hey, just give it to me. And they go to another one. And here I am like with tools, putting things together. I have to go in the garage, get a screwdriver. And that's my job, you know, to do that. And it's very interesting because then it comes one with the manual. And it's like a Lego thing. And I'm like, oh, man, I have to do all this. Sure, I'll do it. But I do not like to follow manuals at all. So I just kind of wing it. And then the things won't work very well. You know, very different than my wife. My wife got this coffee espresso thing. And what she did the last 20 days is reading about it, what it can do, what cannot do, how to clean. You know, she likes to follow the manual. I do not. But it's very interesting because when it comes to marriage, you know, we do not look at the manual that talks about the invention of marriage it was God's idea. It was His idea. And marriage is very interesting because it has a specific information on it. Very specific. It's what, I mean, you see in the Bible that talks about church. It talks about government. It's kind of, you have to combine things to, to understand how it works. But institutional marriage is very, very specific. And it won't change. It's universal. It should not change. It's God's manual. It's our manual when it comes to marriage. And in the same way, we should dive in, in into what the Bible says instead of listening to Oprah and other celebrities about what they have to say about marriage. No other institution comes before marriage. It comes even before the church. Marriage, if you think about it, it's the foundation of our society. We cannot build a society without healthy marriages. If we do, society has started to fall apart. You see, it's so important to God in a marriage that it starts off with Genesis chapter 2, 
when Adam and Eve get together. So there's the first marriage ceremony. And then in the end of the Bible in Revelations, here it is again. He starts with the marriage and ends with the marriage when Jesus used the symbol of the bride as we as a church and he's the groom coming for his church. It's so powerful because he compares our relationship with our spouse. And the comparison, it's the only time you see Jesus comparing a relationship, such a strong relationship that he compares with the marriage. That's how important it is. His relationship with us is compared to a marriage, as it should be. So here's what it says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 and beyond. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them and whatever the men call each living creature. That was his name. So the men gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for God, no suitable helper was found. Or for Adam, sorry. Sorry. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the men to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the men's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Wow. There's so much to unpack in this story. We were not going to have much time, but here's what, some of the things I want to talk about it. The first thing when he says that it's not good for men to be alone, you've got to remember that this is before sin. So the man was perfect. He was a perfect creation. But the Bible says that was no good. He was on no good condition. And I argue the points that why he was on a no good condition. And as I was thinking about it, I came across Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, that says, let us make men in our own image. Let us make men in our own image. So what does that have to do with, with us? How is that reflecting to Adam? The fact that he was no good alone. is the fact that even God in his own nature, he's a relational God. In the creation itself, we see the Trinity together. It's God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So God himself, he needs that relationship. He's not a needy in when it comes to relationship, but he values relationship. And in the same way, when he creates Adam in his own image, he creates a man with this longing for relationship. But oftentimes what we do is we think about when he says the, it, when it, the idea of longing for a relationship, it means that we have to be married. It's not the idea. It's that we need relationships. During COVID time, it was awful not be able to see people. Some of you guys would say, well, I was okay. You know, I like to not be too close to people. But in reality, more than you think, you need relationship. You need people around you. But in this idea, Adam, he was on a no-good position. He had a good relationship with God, but he was in a position where he needed other people to relate to. And God was creating something bigger than just a friend, someone who was part of him. But at first, 
I argue to say that Adam had to learn to be totally depending on God. That's the priority. Totally depending on God. Even though he was longing for a relationship, but he had to learn to be single. So we have to be careful with that because a lot of times, you know, I work with young adults and, and I work with kids too. And often when I was younger, I see this a lot. And what I argue is you have to be, God has to be a priority to you in your relationship with God. He has to be the number one relationship. But what we have to be careful is that if we have a good relationship with God and if we're strong in our relationship with God, it means now we're ready for a marriage. It's almost like a condition or a present that's been given to someone because you act good. So we have to be careful with that idea because Adam, he was depending on God and he was totally close to God, but he was lonely. He needs more. He needs a relationship, but... We have to stay far from the idea that for those who are single, the idea that you hear a lot in church. So working with, um, even in Brazil, when I was single, I used to hear that a lot of people. They would say to me, oh, you're a strong Christian, so why you're not married? I'm like, since when is I'm an incomplete person? My relationship with God is good, but it doesn't mean just because my relationship with God, with God is good, there's something wrong because I'm not in a relationship with someone. Does that make sense? So we have to be careful what we say, especially to young people. You know, there is a, a book that I read by jo Jonathan Poluca, Pocluda, and this book is called Outdated. And it has a whole chapter about singlehood. And is expressing that idea of singlehood as a gift. Because that's what Paul talks about, as a gift. But the idea when we talk about marriage, yeah, marriage is important to us. It is the foundation of our society. But we have to be careful to not put a pressure on each other to say, you are incomplete. You are not a human person until you have someone in your life. But I agree with the idea that Adam himself had to learn to depend on God. Completely depend on God. And then the Bible says that he needs to find a helper suitable for him. In the English words that we use, it's very poor when we say helper. You know, we always think about it as something small. So Eve has this job to be a helper. That is not the idea. Do you realize the word, I love this word, is the esser. It's a Hebrew word, which is the same word that's used by, by Jesus when he refers to the Holy Spirit, when he says that he's the helper. So instead of us feeling like, okay, Eve was created to be the helper, to be a lower being, it's an exciting moment because not only he's giving this person to Adam, but he's giving also himself. It's the same name he used for himself to name Eve. A helper. Someone that can add into his life. A companion, a friend. You know, me and my wife, Casey, um, when we met, it was, it was a very interesting um, concept, but we, from the beginning, we grew to be best friends. And I find that in marriage, that is one of the things that the most rich thing that you can have, it's that relationship. You become so close to that person and like you're a best friend. 
But I remember when we first met, it, w- it, it, was, it, it was interesting because a lot of times with, when you're single, you, you go in a room, and I remember that because I did that myself. You go in a room, and you start to scan, and then if there's someone, you start to cross it out, some of the people that you don't think is going to work. Right? You do that, you scan in a room, oh, she's cute, oh, yeah, no, yeah, you know. We bring those ideas, and I feel like it's, in a way, we, it's, it's a counterintuitive when it comes to the gospel. But the idea of a friend, this is a companion, this is the person that's going to be the rest of your life with you. That's what's going to remain so strong. It's that friendship, that bond, which is so much more than just physical attraction. Because I remember when we first met each other, it wasn't the greatest thing, to be honest. Our first impressions were not good. Um, you know, I was working here in my church, and I had this long hair. I look uh, like some, I have nothing against long hair for men, but I look awful, right? I look like someone who needs lots of help. You know, I didn't take care of myself. My dad is like, dude, you're not going to find anybody. My dad would say things like that. Like, I don't care. So I had this long beard. If you imagine like John Baptist, when it, the Bible describes the guy would, you know, that was me. I took showers, but uh, that was it. Long hair, crazy hair, and I had this bushy hair, you know. And then when my wife met me for the first time, you know, she thought that God sent her there to pray for me, you know. So I was part of her mission to be in the church as a first impression. And then I had this idea, which was way worse, because I knew there were some missionaries coming to my town, and my best friend told me, he said, hey, I'm bringing some friends, and then we have this uh, lady that she has 10 kids, and the other one has five kids, and I'm going to bring to church. So here's my wife comes in, and I thought she was a mother of 10 kids. So she was a young adult, you know, and, and then, so anyways, we had all these ideas of each other, and we were already skeptical from the beginning, right? She thought I needed a lot of help. I was like, oh, she's married, have a bunch of kids. But as we were getting to know each other and we became friends, we, for 10 months, we became best friends. And I'm like, man, this is it. This is what love is. And, it was, and I was so interested on, on, on some of the things that she could give it to me. But at the same time, I was like, she was not afraid of telling me how it is. You know, now it creates some fight. But, no, but it was a great thing. And our friendship, you know, it's not perfect, obviously, but there's so much that adding to. In all those 18 years, we became, there's times that, that things happen in our lives, and if it wasn't for that, we wouldn't make it. We wouldn't make it. If it wasn't for our bonding, our relationship. And here's what says in the verse 23. And some versions, they use the, at last. You know, NIV doesn't use that. At last, it's all a gasp of excitement. Wow! Whoa, man! Right? So excited. The men exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from men. So Adam cried of excitement and he burst into poetry, if you can say, of excitement. In Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 5, verse 16 says, This is my lover, my friend. In response to someone who found a treasure, something so deep. A lot of times when people 
see this expression of Adam towards Eve, they always think that there's this sexual uh, intense relationship that comes into it. But it's not. It's more than that. For the first time, he's seeing someone like him, and he's so excited to get to know her and spend some time with her. And then verse 24 says, This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. So much into this verse. Here's the first marriage ceremony before God. The passage calls united into one. And some texts we use cleaving, which is such a strong idea. And like I said, uh, many, many times when there's this idea of a man joining united as one, a lot of times people go jump into the conclusion that is talking about some sexual way that they're, that's the first time that God put them together in the garden with, with, with a sexual relationship. Maybe, but it's so much more than that. It's a covenant. It's things that we do. We ask people to promise that on a wedding day. It's a covenant. A covenant between a man and a woman. A binding promise. An oath. The man will leave father and mother and join. We use that so much in weddings. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is talking to the people. And he brings that passage again. Because people started to not understand that. Especially because he was talking to people that are Greek philosophers and people like that. And there's no idea about when you get married with someone, you leave your parents behind, you join into one. So I remember when that happened, and we, in our wedding day, me and my wife, we had what they called the candlelight ceremony, the unity candle. The unity candle, big candle that you put in your ceremony, and then there's two. One and the one on the top is, there's no fire in it, on it. And then there's two other candles, one for your, each one represents a different family. So, and I remember, even on that ceremony, how my mom felt weird about it. Because here's her little son, he's going to go with somebody else. And so the idea of the unity candle, it's a big candle, two other candles, so the first family comes, and the, other, uh, the, the groom's family comes, the bride comes, and then they, together they put the fire into this unity candle, and then they blow off the, the other two candles. So now the family should be hands off, and this candle represents the marriage, which is two united into one. One. There's no mom and dad. You can't say that her food tastes better, mom's food tastes better than the wife. You get in trouble. It's a kingdom. And me and Casey, when we got married, we make that decision that this is our kingdom. And there's times that created a lot of fight. Because I remember the very first time something was going wrong in the house, and then she called her father. And I did not know that would bother me, but it bothered me so much. And I came home, she's like, oh, yeah, there's something wrong in the house, but I already called my father. I'm like, are you serious? What? 
Let me call him. You know, give me the job to do that. Which I did. And, you know. But that's the idea that it's your kingdom. And he bothered me so much with such a simple thing, but the fact that she went for her father, not to me. And the same way, there's times I was like, well, my mom used to do this. My mom, and she's like, don't bring your mom into the conversation. I would say the first three years was really hard on that. But I remember my mom putting the candle there, and she's crying. And I was like, oh, I'm going to let it go, my baby. To this lady, you know. But that's the idea of unity. Become one and the leave and cleave. Many people struggle with this idea. You know, your family has been the ultimate priority. And there's a, a huge thing about your family, a single family, the family when you were single. There's a huge purpose from God into that. And the family orientation toward parents are very good, but they are no longer priority. They become secondary once you get married. Failing to do that and make marriage collapse. And why the cultural worldview of marriage contrasts with God's view? This is the question. So how does this idea of marriage scripturally contrast with the worldview that we have in our society? I believe, in essence, that there is a misunderstanding of our cultural culture about the purpose of marriage. I think the key is that. I think, in essence, it's a misunderstanding how our culture view marriage and the purpose of marriage. See, our culture sees marriage as a romantic sexual experience designed for self-gratification. And a lot of times, that's one of the reasons that drives people to, to live together, to have that experience. And the numbers out there to say that the people that live together, there's even bigger the rate of divorce among those people. Why? Because when you join someone to just have sexual experience and because you feel like, I don't want to commit to marriage, but I want to be just have this, you're saying to the other person, right now, right now, you're the best thing there is. But anytime, I'm out. It's the idea of self-gratification that each individual would like guarantee happiness without God. It's not possible. It depends only on a human ability. It's all about me. It's what I can get with this. In the cultural view, there is absolutely no sacrifice no sacrifice at all. I did a little bit of research and see what is the, the, the idea, especially in sites like eHarmony, what they put it out there about their expectation that you put out there to find the soulmate, the perfect, perfect, perfect soulmate. According to the site, if you're going to date today, this is the requirement. Someone who can assess me just as I am. Someone who sees me as a perfect person. 
Someone who affirms but won't change who I am. Or release me to be myself and won't imprison me into the relationship and I can do whatever I want. Also, someone who can offer this amazing romantic sexual relationship. So that's the standard. I want someone who won't change me, who sees me as a wonderful person, and I don't want you to change me, and I can do whatever I want, I can go whatever I want, and I still want to come home and have this amazing sexual relationship. That's what people are looking for. And we have data and data and data on that. In the church, we know that not to be true. Shouldn't be that way. But a lot of times, what we don't realize that influence our way that we choose our partner more than we think. You know, I, I remember when me and Casey, my wife, were talking about getting married, you know, and then we were talking about our expectations that we have. You know, we came, I, I remember that we were dating, and then even though we had this idea that we are sinful people, but still, we have such a high standard about each other. And I remember the day that she found out I have sin. You know, I had some addiction. Or, and it's something I had to work on my life. But it was so surprising to her and impacted. We were still dating and impacted her so much that we broke up. We broke up for a while. We had to work in our own differences. But when we came back, we realized one thing, that we both need God. We're both simple people. That doesn't give excuse for sin. But that's the difference between how the world sees. The world sees, world sees relationships and marriage as something that can be beneficial to me. It's something that's going to add into me. You won't change me. It's going to be a great experience. And any time that happens and it changes me, or any time you threat to change me, any time there's a conflict that pushes us against each other, I'm out. I don't want that. And I wish to say that is something that's happening just on Western culture and outside of the church. But it's a consumer focus of personal fulfillment. That's what the world is looking for, what's out there. And that's a huge problem. Because we cannot find fulfillment on a person. Do you remember the story in John chapter 4 of the woman at the well where she's going to get water and Jesus had an encounter with her and he's talking about finding fulfillment. And this lady is going from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship. We don't know why. But one thing we know, she was trying to find fulfillment because Jesus talks to her about living water. You don't have to come here to get it. You don't need that. You're looking for fulfillment in man, and you're not going to find it only with me. And that's the Christian idea that your spouse is not going to be a priority when it comes to fulfillment. It's so much more than that. And here's my point. The Western culture view of marriage puts more pressure into marriage. And think about this. 
It puts more pressure into marriage than God himself intended to be. It puts tremendous pressure. It says that the Bible has to provide something it never intended to give. And many Christians have the same view of that. Here's why. A partner that doesn't think there's anything wrong with you, that's how the world sees. Because you don't, and also because you don't want someone to change you, right? You find someone who sees that you're great, you're an awesome person, you don't need any change. You want to find soulmate, someone that doesn't have anything to change either, a perfect, perfect person, a gorgeous forever. Can you imagine God never intended to put that pressure into marriage? No wonder people are so skeptical about marriage because they can't come already with this Western culture idea that marriage is supposed to be something that never intended to be. Never intended. And that's the same expectation that church, a lot of times we have. It's someone that has to be perfect. Again, I'm not giving excuse for sin, but you understanding that that person is not perfect. And we have all those expectations, and we add, oh, also it has to be Christian. You know, we do that. That's the difference. Ironically, this idea is so idealistic that people become so pessimist when it comes to marriage. So pessimist. It's like it doesn't work. Why? Because there's no perfect person. You're not going to find it. And you're going to find that in a hard way. That perfect person is not perfect. Because sin. Because sin. Nobody's perfect. And we Christians understand that. When we look into our spouse, we should not have this fantasy idea of a marriage that does not exist. Because we're spiritually broken people. Now, the biblical idea of marriage is a life-frame devotion of love, not the love that the world describes, a love, a sacrificial love between a man and a woman, two different people. It's about us. And when I say us, you include God into that. And they are both united in love. The marriage needs come before the individual needs. And for a culture, that's very counterintuitive. It does not make sense. Not existent. That's not what they're looking for. But love is sacrificial. I love in 1 Corinthians 13, and Josh mentioned here, it's the, the most used uh, passage in, in weddings. And he talks about the true love. And one of the things that talks about that, that love is not self-seeking. It's not. That's not love. And then in the end of the passage, it says, I used to be like a child. It's talking about maturity. Now I am like a man who understands what love is. It's sacrificial love. The reality is you have two people. What we call that is clash and mash. Clash and mash. If you're single, if you've already been married for a while, you understand that, and I want you to understand if you don't, 
It's the idea of clash and mash. It's two simple people, two different people getting together and you're clashing. You have subcultures, things that you used to do as a single person. And then you mash. And the purpose of that mash, if we're two, be united in one with God and help each other to come closer to God in that relationship. That's the idea. That's the idea. So there's this statue, um, sculptor um, Michelangelo in Italy of David. And there's a, someone asked him, was like, how can you come up? I mean, we we're talking about a long time ago, right? How can you come up with an idea of David and such a beautiful design? And Michelangelo answered, I had to look beyond the rocks. I, I had to visualize that rock as something a, a strong, a big thing, a potential thing, a, something that will look beautiful. When we look in our marriages and when we look about marriage in God's way, we have to look at that way. We are working in progress. God is still working on us. Yes, there's sin in our lives. We have to help each other. And when that day you says, yes, I do, it starts the work in progress. There's so many beautiful things that happen. But don't be fooled. It's a work in progress, and you need God. And the reality is that's the main difference. You know, all cultures, they will agree with us on this. Other religions would agree with us on this. But there's a huge difference. That is Christ Jesus. You have him to help you when it becomes super hard. Because things will become hard. And love, the idea of love. Our culture needs desperately to understand what love is. The idea of love. Love as a covenant. It's the essence of men leaving father and mother and uniting and cleaving into one. Love as a covenant means I'm offering myself to you to be loving, not to feel loving, to be faithful, to serve you, to be unselfish, no matter what happens, during good times, bad times. That's what marriage is. When someone promises that, here's what happened to us. When you, the day you get married and someone promises you to do that, it free you. It frees you. It gives you freedom to be ourselves. Without fear that that person is just going to walk away when promise arise, which they will. The world puts so much pressure into marriage that it shouldn't be. The pressure so much. Sacrificial love. There's no me. So in Philippians chapter 2, and I'll end with this, in chapter 5 and 8 says this, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being a very nature of God, did not consider equally with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, and being found in appearances of men, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. 
That is love. That is love. During the cross, he felt denied, unloved, betrayed, abandoned. But because he's love, the Bible says that he says this, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It's the power to forgive. He loved us. He chose to die for us. Not because we're lovely or because we are attractive. He loved. That's love. That's the same love we have to offer to our spouse or future spouse. In summary, we have to pick the idea that the same way that Christ died for his church, and that's the comparison in Ephesians 5, and his sacrificial love to forgive, to love no matter what, That is what God calls us to do when it comes to our spouse. To love no matter what. And the rest, we just follow. Let's pray. Father, we we rest upon you. And a decision to follow you in everything we do. We surrender to you. We surrender our lives to you. We surrender our marriages to you. We will surrender our families to you. And we pray in the name of Jesus that you help us to, in times that are difficult to love, that you ask, we ask the Holy Spirit to help us with that. Help us as a nation, as a church, to understand what it means to love one person, to love one another. As in churches and many other places, marriage is so broken, I pray in the name of Jesus that you bring healing. We rest upon you in Jesus' name. Amen.